My Car Guru, Season 11, Episode 122. Hey folks, welcome to another edition of My Car Guru. I'm just sitting in my office monitoring things like UAW strikes, Middle East wars, you know, that kind of stuff that uh, I absolutely have no control over one way or the other. All I can do is pray for everybody involved. Other than that, you know, we're just sitting here in East Tennessee hoping for the best. So we'll see what happens there. You know, I had an interesting scenario yesterday. Uh, It's not rare because it does happen several times a year when somebody, where a couple comes in and they're wanting to buy two vehicles instead of one. And they have one trade-in and the ACV, the actual cash value of that trade, is somewhere around $15,000, okay? So they're wanting to use that money. Uh, They thought that they could only use it on one vehicle, but I'll explain how they can use it on more than one. The other situation, uh, the other vehicle is a leased vehicle, and the lease is going to expire in about two months. It is a truck, and they really like the truck, and they would buy it out. Now, with a lease, You get a a figure from the lease company. They tell you what you can buy it for at the end of the lease. This happened to be a two-year lease, and so they know what they can buy it for. They gave me that figure and said, if we buy this thing, what will our monthly payments be? Well, the lease payment on this particular vehicle was only about $350 a month. If they pay it off, since the the residual value of that vehicle is so high, meaning that it hasn't depreciated very much, their purchase price is or I should say their purchase payment based on that residual price is going to be double what their lease payment was. Why is that? Well, it's because they had a lot of down payment going in on the lease at the beginning. So basically when they leased this vehicle, they had a paid-for trade-in. They took all of the equity in that trade and put it down on the lease, and that was about $10,000. Do you think $10,000 is going to have a major impact on a two-year lease? You betcha. And so he came in thinking that he could buy it and maybe get about the same payment. No, the payment's going to be double, even if you go 72 months. Not real happy about that, and I understand, because it's a cash flow situation. So I found out they're wanting two vehicles. Uh, the other vehicle they want is a like a BMW. Or a Mercedes. They want a high-end German vehicle. We just happen to have a Mercedes GLE on our lot, which is a small SUV. Perfect for what they want. Uh, as I said, they have another trade that has about $15,000 in equity. So what they could do is take some of that equity and apply it to the new lease on a brand new vehicle uh, for, for the one person, and then they could take some of the money and use it on the, the Mercedes. You know, money is, uh, you can move it around. Now, some dealers will not work with you on something like that. Uh, We do because I've done it for 45 years. It's not hard. You know, it's just a few little extra journal entries that you have to make in your accounting system when you do a deal like that. But, you know, that's one of the reasons that I have a, well, he's not really a stockbroker. He's a money manager. And he, when you know, when I have a situation with money and I've got, a certain amount that I want to invest or I have an investment strategy, I want to be more conservative here, more aggressive there. He's the kind of guy that can make that happen and give me advice as to whether or not it's smart based on my age and investment goals and stuff like that. I believe in having a financial professional handle that stuff. They just know a lot more than I do. And 
So I have become a financial manager as well when it comes to somebody's cars. And, and so I'm helping them navigate this. You know, you can get by with that once you have somebody that you trust, you know, that you feel confident that they're going to steer you right. Um, the typical salesperson that you run into at a car dealership, you know, they know their product. You know, they're nice people. They uh, are friendly and courteous, but they get all of their numbers from a sales manager that's hidden behind door number two. And you usually don't see him, you know, unless they're trying to, you know, put more pressure on you to get you to buy something because he's typically a better closer is what they call him. But the salespeople, sometimes they don't manage these kind of delicate situations or let's just say complicated transactions. You You need to be sitting in front of the sales manager in order to work out something like this. If you've got some type of a complicated situation, you know, maybe it's an estate situation and you've got, you know, you've got titles to cars or you've got maybe the titles to the cars are in the the person's name who, you know, passed away and you're trying to trade that car and you don't have the, you know, you're not sure what documentation you need to be able to do that. Those can get pretty complicated. Matter of fact, that could be over the head of, of a lot of sales managers as well. So if you have those kind of scenarios, sometimes you need a person to call that has been through it before, and that could be me. Um, and laws vary by state. So if you're listening to this and you're in Oregon or someplace like that, I'm not familiar with Oregon Oregonian law. But if you're in uh, the southeast, I could probably help you. 423-552-2020. I guess you could call me a automotive financial strategist, uh, AFS for short. Maybe I ought to add that to my title right behind the car guru. But there are many situations that, that are just complicated, and if handled improperly, you could have all kinds of issues down the road. So um, just give me a call. I'm going to take my first break. I'll be back in just one minute. Okay, I am back. You know, one of the things I have found on a lot of people that come in with questions on leases, you know, they've already leased a car. And then they're coming in trying to decide whether they want to do it again. It's just like this person had a a two-year lease, and he just felt like, you know, gosh, this is awful early. I mean, two years is a long time, you know, when it's out ahead of you. But, you know, when you look back and say, boy, looking, you know, in the rearview mirror, two years doesn't look like much, especially the older you get. And so he's thinking, you know, I don't want to have to do this every two or three years. I'd rather just get into a long-term thing. But then you have to consider what's your normal trading cycle. Do you like to keep cars for three years or more? I mean, do you normally trade? Because just because you own it, you know, or the bank owns it, if you're making monthly payments on it, it doesn't mean that you aren't going to want to trade and that that particular transaction will be even more complicated than a lease because you may be upside down when you go to trade. You know, may owe more on it than it's worth. I mean, the good thing about a lease is that you don't owe anything on it at the end of the lease unless you've damaged it in some way and you'll have to pay for, you know, if you wore out the tires or something and didn't put new tires on it, then they'll charge you for tires and they'll charge you at full retail. But you don't owe anything on the car. And my recommendation to most people who go into a, a lease for the first time is just make double sure that you understand it. Because as I was starting to say, most people who go into leases the first time and they've never done it before, 
they just kind of understand it. They don't totally understand it because the salespeople and the finance managers don't take the time to tell them the downside of leasing. There are upsides and there are downsides. But, you know, there are upsides and downsides to buying as well, especially if you don't pay a vehicle off. I mean, the best way to buy a vehicle is just pay cash for it sometimes if you have the liquidity to be able to handle that. Now, in a real high interest rate environment, and you've got money on CDs, you know, let's say you have enough money that's earning 5% right now, and the manufacturer of a a particular car company comes out with 0% financing. Well, why take the money out of a, you know, interest-bearing account or a CD or something like that that you're earning 5% on and put it into a car which is a depreciating asset? You know, borrow the money at 0%, finance the car. Well, I know I don't like to make monthly payments. Well, just have it taken out of your checking account automatically. And then, you know, at the end of the term, you've still got your money in the bank. Now, of course, I'm taking, um, I'm, I'm making an assumption here that you have adequate income to cover the monthly payment. And if you do, and you've got you know, plenty of liquidity and you've got money on CD or in the stock market or whatever, then take advantage of the zero. You might want to take advantage if it's like 3.9% because that's a pretty low rate. It's lower than you're earning at the bank. You know, if you take all the money out and put it in a car, uh, you're not earning anything on the money and your car is going to depreciate. So it's going to depreciate anyway is the way I look at it. And, you know, you might as well make monthly payments at zero. It, it just, it, it's a better financial decision. Now, with leasing, you know, you have to consider, you know, the downsides of it. One of them is that the miles on the car, the the amount of miles that you can put on a car is not limited. It's just that when you get to a certain point, like let's say they base the lease on a 10,000-mile-per-year lease over three years. It means you could put 30,000 miles on the car over a three-year period and not have to pay any extra. That's fine if you only drive 30,000 miles in three years. If you drive 50,000 miles in three years, then you're going to have to pay them for the additional 20,000 miles that you put on it. And, you know, that could be 15 to 50 cents a mile. You have to know what that is up front. You do not go into a 10,000 or a 12,000-mile annual lease limitation as far as miles if you know you're going to drive 15 to 20,000 miles a year. You know, go ahead and build those miles into the front end. They can do that. If you buy miles on the front of a lease, it just makes your monthly payment go up a little bit, but then there's no surprises at the end, and you don't have to worry about it. People say, well, I don't have to pay for mileage when I buy a car. Oh, really? Yes, you do. When you trade a car in, that used car manager is going to walk outside, and he's going to look at your car, and he's going to look inside and look at the odometer. And if you've got, let's say, double the mileage that the average person would drive, which we assume anywhere between twelve and 15,000 miles a year. If you've got 30,000 miles a year, you've got a 60,000-mile uh, odometer, then we're going to deduct probably 25 cents a mile for that. There is a mileage deduction in the book. It's going to cost you money. So you're paying for it either way. You know, Do you just want to pay in a lease? The thing I like about leasing is just it, it's clean, it's uh, very simple if you understand, if you re- read the documentation and you, you understand that you do not own the car, you're just 
basically renting the car for a three-year period, but you're not renting it in that you have the right to buy it at the end. You know, if you just go to Enterprise and rent a car, then and you're done with it and say, can I buy this car? You know, they're not going to sell it to you. But if you lease a car, I mean, you have the right to buy it at the end of the lease, plus you know what you can buy it for. You know, they set a residual value. That's what you can buy it for at the end of the lease. What if cars are worth less? What if it has depreciated greatly, more than they thought it would, and it's worth actually $10,000 less on, you know, on the market than what your buyout is? Well, then you don't buy it, and you just lease another car. You know, If it's worth $10,000 more, then maybe you should buy it, especially if you can sell it to your next-door neighbor. But that's only if you want it. If you don't want it, you hand them the keys and walk away. Uh, there are no other real limitations as far as use on a lease vehicle. Insurance costs about the same. You know, if you're buying like a Honda Accord, uh, they have a really high residual value. The lease payments will be pretty low on a car like that. I don't know about a Civic. It's probably depreciates more. Uh, but there are a lot of cars. I mean, most people that buy BMWs or Mercedes, or I, sh- I say buy, most of the people that get those, and even Lexus, they don't buy them. They lease them. Sometimes there are tax advantages. If you own a business, then you can write off every lease payment. Now, with a purchase, if you own a business, then you can depreciate that over five years. If you want to take advantage of, of you know, the, the tax law, then you can buy a vehicle as long as it's a, a truck or piece of equipment or something like that. You can depreciate them all in you can basically take five years of depreciation in one year. And so it's a good tax write-off, and that way the federal government, whatever tax bracket you're in, if you're in a 30% bracket, the government's paying for 30% of your vehicle. That's a pretty good deal. But businesses many times lease vehicles because they can write off each of them of the lease payment. If you, if you buy the vehicle and set up monthly payments, then you can only write off what the vehicle is depreciating. So the bottom line here for me, if I'm going in to buy a car, I would like to know what the purchase price payment is or what the purchase price is. What are you selling me the car for? Let's, let's just pretend like you don't have a trade-in. So what are you selling me the car for? Okay, if I lease the car, what is the capitalized cost of the lease? Because sometimes dealers, I've mentioned this many times on the radio show, you know, you will ask them what you can buy the car for, but when you switch to a lease, all they want to talk about is a monthly payment because some dealers will jack up the capitalized cost, which is the selling price on a lease, because they don't think you're going to look at that. You know, they may make an extra 1000 or $1,500 adjustment on that price because they know that you're probably not going to be paying attention to that you're just looking at the monthly payment. They know that the target is not the selling price. The target is to get a lower monthly payment. And that's not hard to do on some leases. So just make sure to say, okay, what's the selling price at, on the on the purchase, okay? What is the capitalized cost on the lease? Make sure that those numbers are the same. And then uh, look at the term, look at the mileage that you're going to be driving and set it up so that you can drive. Let's say 15,000 miles a year is plenty for you. And three years is your normal trading cycle. Then get a three-year lease at 15,000 miles and you're good to go. See what the lease payment is. Compare that to the purchase payment. Sometimes there will be a significant savings, and sometimes there's not. I've seen people actually lease even if the payment was the exactly the same because they could 
write off the lease quicker. It was easier for them from a business standpoint. But typically for the individual, that's not the case. But on a Lexus, on a BMW, on a Porsche, you know, a lot of those exotic cars, the and somebody's going to finance one, it's a whole lot cheaper to pay for a percentage of the car, which is what a lease is. You're not buying the whole car. You're just paying for part of it, paying for the depreciation, and that's it. Plus the cost of money. I mean, there's an interest factor there that you have to take into account. They call that the money factor. Sometimes they'll call it the interest rate. Uh, If they call it a money factor, it is not like an APR, like 3.9% APR. A money factor sounds more like 0.0015. And if you want to translate that to or convert that to an APR, just multiply it by 24. And that hits it really close as far as what the interest rate is that they're charging on the lease. I mean, if the lease rate, uh, the money factor is like translates to a 7 8%, that's not really a good deal. You know, a lot of the manufacturers right now are doing close to zero, you know, 2% or less on the money factor on a lease. So that makes it really attractive. And if the residual value is really high, that translates to a really low payment. Right now, we can do a on the electric Aria, the Nissan Aria. They have a great lease program on it. They have a pretty good lease program on the Mach-E, the Ford Mach-E Mustang. And I know most people who buy Teslas lease. And I just think it makes more sense on an electric vehicle to lease it because I think the technology is going to change rapidly. And, um, you know, over the next three years, charging infrastructure is going to change. Everybody will be able to charge at Tesla's charging stations starting next year, which is a huge thing for me. That would allow me to to, uh, lease an electric vehicle over a three-year period because then I could feel comfortable traveling. You know, not great comfort, I mean, I still don't like the idea of having to pull into a charging station and wait for something to come open or have to sit there for 40 minutes, you know, while I get a full charge. Now, if you only have 100 miles to go and you've got 50 miles of range left, then, you know, you don't need to sit there for an, for 40 minutes. You might be able to get what you need in 10 minutes because on one of those superchargers. So could I live with that? Yeah. You know, it's just a little bit of the unknown still. For me, and I just don't feel 100% comfortable. Now, if I just drove it around in East Tennessee all the time and never took it on trips, I'd be fine. I just have to install something at my house, you know, to be able to charge it quickly when I needed to. But still, leasing is the way to go in electric vehicles. On, you know, if you're just buying a F-150 or a Silverado truck, a Ram truck, you're not going to see any good lease deals on those. They just don't have them. They put lease deals on on vehicles that are uh, that businesses you know some businesses will use, but mostly for individuals that are just looking for a low payment on a family car, and sometimes that's a pretty good option. Okay, I'll take my last break and be back here in just a minute. Okay, let's just review a couple terms that we have talked about. Capitalized cost that is the sale price for the car. Let's say the car has an MSRP, window sticker is $35,000, and your capitalized cost is $33,000. Then they've discounted the car two grand. Okay? Pretty simple math. You need to look at that because sometimes they don't discount the cars at all when it comes to a lease. So pay attention. Sometimes they actually 
make the capitalized cost higher than the MSRP. You definitely don't want to do that. So you want some, you still want some kind of a discount, and you can negotiate that. You're not just negotiating on the monthly payment. Remember that on a lease. Negotiate on the capitalized cost first. Residual value. That is what that vehicle is going to be worth in like at the end of your lease. So if it's a three-year lease, that $35,000 vehicle times the residual percentage, let's say it's you know 50%, then that vehicle is going to be worth $17,500 is what they're saying at the end of that lease. And that's what you can buy the vehicle for at the end of the lease. Okay, money factor. That's the interest rate. So really the only two vari- or three variables are the capitalized cost, the money factor, which is the interest rate, and the uh, residual. Those are the three things. Now, you can't negotiate on residual. It is what it is because the, like if it's Ford Motor Credit, they're saying, okay, this is what we're willing to bet that that car is going to be worth at the end of three years. If they bet wrong, then they lose money when they take that thing to the auction. If they bet right, then they make money when they take it to the auction. And if you end up buying it at the end of the lease, it's a break-even for them. They don't have to worry about anything. And you take the car off their hand. You take the liability off their hands. But then you've got to turn around and either pay cash for that vehicle or you've got to finance it. And don't forget, you have to pay sales tax on it. Another thing on sales tax, by the way, is that on a lease payment, on a leased vehicle, you only pay sales tax on the, on each monthly payment. You're not paying sales tax on the whole car. So if you buy an expensive car, say the you know the interest or the the uh, tax rate is ten percent, then you know you're paying ten percent and you're financing that amount too if you're making monthly payments on it. On a lease, you don't. If your payment is three hundred dollars a month and the tax rate is ten percent, then you're paying thirty dollars tax every month. So you don't pay tax on the whole whole price. That's another advantage of leasing. So if you have questions about this kind of stuff, I'm the guy. 423-552-2020 or Lenny Lawson2020 at gmail.com. And I'll be happy to help you out with those financial decisions. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.